Today on Cross Defense, we confront and crucify our temptation to fear, which causes us to avoid suffering and thereby hinders our courageous confession of Christ and Him crucified. Suffering aided the early church's evangelism efforts, and it will improve ours, dear friends, as we suffer minor annoyances or even martyrdom. Robert Lockett encourages us in a new segment on the show today, demonstrating that Christians don't give up when mocked for Christ. Oh, and Kirk Cameron, he sings a mighty fortress is our God. All of that and more is coming up right now on Cross Defense. Welcome to Cross Defense, my friends. This is the show that aims to equip the mind, excite the imagination, and comfort the soul, and aims to do all of that with God's Word, because that is the only thing that can do all of that, isn't it? Yes, it is. I'm your host, Reverend Tyrell Bramwell. I'm the pastor of St. Mark Lutheran Church out here in Ferndale, California, where, get this, a truck driver spends his days driving to the truth, gaining knowledge to share Jesus with hostile people who mock him on a regular basis. Now, more on that later in the show. If during the show you'd like to send us your comments, your questions, your bits of biblical brilliance, we'd love to hear them. So go to stmarksferndale.com slash contact. That's S-T-M-A-R-K-S, ferndale.com slash contact to get that done. Drop us a line. We'd love to hear what you have to say. You can also find St. Mark Lutheran Church on Instagram and Facebook. Just look for the winged lion logo. And you probably know if you're not new here, if you are new here, nice to meet you. If you're not new here, uh, I'm on YouTube. That's where I host all of our winged lion videos in service to the church's evangelism efforts. Now, if you have a general comment, you might be thinking, Pastor Bramwell, I just have a general comment about the show in general. How many times can I say general in one sentence? Well, if you have that, go ahead and go over to your preferred platform where you listen to podcasts and rate and or review this show to help push Cross Defense out to new listeners. We greatly appreciate that as well. In a word, anything you can do to help share Cross Defense with your neighbors is greatly appreciated. Okay, so with all of that out of the way, Glad you're here. Thanks for tuning in. Last week, we talked about having faith and, and somewhat about how faith reacts to or relates to courage and truth. Today is all about living as the courageous people you are in Christ as Christians. And this is because we as Western Christians, we've slipped into a... Uh, Let's call it a warm and cozy incubator from which we look out of our clear little bubble and we complain about the happenings of the world beyond ourselves, unaware and even at times in denial that the rise of paganism, this evil that we see, and, and consequently, in parallel, the decline of Christianity in our society has much to do with us, not living as the conquerors we are in Christ. Our actions, they prove that we prefer to stay in our little brooder, brooding over the ways of the world for one simple reason. What is that reason? Fear. Fear, which is symptomatic of the condition of our faith in Christ. Now, we want to stay in the hatchery, but if we stay in the hatchery too long, it begins to stunt our growth. It begins to make us weaker in the sense that we won't be well prepared to be outside of our nice little bubble, outside of our little uh, human greenhouse. See, we're afraid to suffer. And not just for Christ's sake, I'd say Americans in general, not just Christians, are afraid to suffer. We don't like discomfort. We're a, we're a wimpy people. Sorry, guys. But it's true. A spade's a spade. America is indeed a hothouse. Christians are hothouse flowers, American Christians. We're not as strong as the flowers growing in the Lord's garden outside of our nice little glass bubble. Those that are growing in other parts of the world amidst the elements, the turmoil, the tension, the physical persecution, and even martyrdom, yes, even to this day, 
They say more Christians have been martyred in our recent day than throughout all of human history, but we don't hear about it. We don't think about it because we got it good. We got it easy right here in our little greenhouse. We can't handle even the slightest breeze and what that might mean for our faith, what that might mean actually more accurately for our comforts in this life that we don't want to get rid of. And see, when we're afraid to speak the truth, even to our family members, think about it like this, to our family members, for, for fear that, let's say Thanksgiving, that's a classic get-around-the-table kind of situation, when we don't speak the truth to our family because we're afraid that it might make Thanksgiving dinner uncomfortable and intolerable, intolerable, unbearable, when we're afraid to engage in a Christ-centered conversation with our most dearly beloved, our loved ones, because others at the table might have a different opinion than that which is conveyed in the Bible, and we don't want to be the ones that create tension. Well, well, then we're not exactly an attractive people, are we? Our behavior as Christians isn't attracting people to consider what we believe in, to, to ponder that and think about whether they want to believe in that too, whether it's something that has substance to it, something that would inform their behavior because it informs our behavior, that transforms our character and makes us into something stronger than what everybody else around us is. We're not attractive in that way these days. What we do is we make ourselves feel better by referring to our unwillingness to suffer as, this is, this is what we like to say, right? Keeping the peace. Well, dear saints, let me defile that ideological tofet, would you, with this brief question. Why do you want to keep your loved ones from knowing peace, keeping the peace? You're keeping the peace from them. All you're doing is keeping the peace of Christ, which surpasses all understanding, from those who desperately need to heed it, hear it, who need to heed it, <laughs> yeah, who, who need to know what it is that Christ says in Scripture. To keep the peace, you are literally keeping the peace from them. But to the point, ponder that on your own time. <laughs> Onward with the show. To the point, doctrine and practice are linked. How we behave reveals what we believe. As we talked about in the previous episode, go take a listen to that. We talked about that a lot. Lex Rondi, Lex Credendi. We, we talked about that on a number of episodes. This is the heart of Blaise Pascal's point quoted by Reverend Schmidt in his book, Faith Misused, which we referenced last week. And Pascal said, I believe only the histories of witnesses who get themselves killed. Whoa, right? How powerful of a statement is it if you believe in something so much you're willing to die for it? You're willing to suffer for it. So Christians ought not fear suffering. In his book, Evangelism in the Early Church, Michael Green describes the various tools in the early church's evangelism toolbox, and among them includes things like fellowship, right, the familiness, the family uh, community aspect of the faith, their transformed character, as I mentioned a minute ago, joy, and things like endurance, long-suffering. He writes, this joy of the Christians in both life and death is closely linked with their patient endurance of scourging, insults, and martyrdom, which had an incalculable effect in bringing observers to faith. The oftener we are mowed down by you, the more in number we grow. The blood of Christians is seed, said Tertullian. And he spoke from much personal experience, Green says. It was not merely the fact that these men and women, drawn from all ranks in society and from none, were prepared to hazard their lives for the Lord Jesus, but it was the manner in which they carried their witness through until death which caused such admiration. As Tertullian pointed out in that same passage, many of your writers, the uh, pagan writers, exhort to courageous bearing of pain and death, and yet their words do not find so many disciples as Christians do. Teachers, not by words, but by their deeds. A Seneca or an Helvetius Priscus might meet death with courageous resignation. 
Christians faced it with joyful exultation. It was the same with minor annoyances. The spirit of non-retaliation for evil inculcated by Jesus had so taken root even in the earliest days of the church that when Peter and John were imprisoned and threatened by the imposing meeting with the Sanhedrin for their Christian activities, they did not bluster or complain, much less give up. They did not hold a committee meeting to decide what should be done next. They simply joined their friends and gave themselves to prayer and then continued preaching the risen Christ. Paul regarded the physical brutalities he suffered in the cause of the gospel as the marks which branded him Jesus' bond slave, his bond servant. He was given the privilege of not only believing on Christ, but also of suffering for his sake. In a very poignant sense, he filled up in his own person the complement of the messianic sufferings on Christ's behalf. Peter's own peace of mind as he faced death on the morrow was such that he was peacefully sleeping between guards. Clement records how both Peter and Paul endured with equal equanimity stonings, trials from enemies without the church, and strife and jealousy from some within, and showed the way to the prize of endurance as they passed from the world and were taken up into the holy place. And we have seen how many in the second century were fired by their example. Justin at Rome, the martyrs of Cilii, of Vienna, and elsewhere. The Acts of Martyrs records that their deaths sometimes resulted in their executioners becoming Christians. And even when this did not occur, the way they died certainly convinced men of the innocence of their creed. Wicked men would not cheerfully sacrifice themselves like that. There's a moving story, Green says, recorded by Clement of Alexandria. I'd love to go take a look at this, which tells that the man whose denunciation of the apostle James had led to his arrest by Herod Agrippa was so impressed by James's testimony to Christ in court that he himself became a Christian and was led away to execution along with James. On the way, he asked James for forgiveness. And James looked at him just for a moment and then said, peace be to you, and kissed him. So both were beheaded at the same time. Friends, you can get a copy of Evangelism in the Early Church online through Books's bookshop.org link. We'll leave uh, that link in the show notes below. So uh, go ahead and take a look at that. Friends, Green highlights an interesting point here, a point that will aid our apologetic aim today. He talks of our Christian ancestors not being afraid to suffer death, but also not being afraid to suffer the little, the minor annoyances in life as a Christian. The early church lived out what Jesus taught in Luke 16.10. One who's faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. Sitting in our our comfortable little greenhouse, which used to be an incubator. We've kind of switched metaphors. <laughs> we like to say that we'd be bold enough to die for the Lord. You know, in, in some hypothetical scenario, I'd be bold. Some, some idealized, romanticized image of martyrdom in our minds. If it were to ever occur, of course, I would stand the test. But we're afraid. We're afraid to suffer even a minor annoyance. What makes us think that we, would, we wouldn't be too afraid to suffer martyrdom? If we can't invite people to church because we're afraid if we ask them to come to church with us that they might not want to talk to us again, what makes us think that when someone points a gun at you, you'll be willing to die martyrdom? Or that when the, the state comes and locks you up because you've gathered during COVID lockdown or, or something like this, that you'd be willing to stand up to the, that that pressure for the sake of the gospel so people could have comfort in the midst of suffering. If you can't even invite someone to church or have a conversation with your own family members at Thanksgiving, what makes you think you'll be willing to die? See, 
we see we think that because we we're not we're not tested. We're an untested, and we're a willfully ignorant people. And I don't mean that as an insult. It's just an observation. We're an untested and willfully ignorant people with overactive and unholy imaginations, unshaped by the word of God, that is. And and these observations of reality escape us. In the words of the second century B.C. Greek poet Archilochus, and I probably butchered his name, whose words the Navy SEALs often repeat, which is how I know them, we do not rise to the level of our expectations. We fall to the level of our training. And I just realized that made it sound like I was some sort of Navy SEAL or something. But no, I've read some of their motivational works. So we do not rise to the level of our expectation. We will sink. We will fall to the level of our training. And so with that, I want to introduce you to a brilliant thinker here at St. Mark Lutheran Church, a man who's proven not to be afraid, to fear suffering, not even the minor annoyances. He's not afraid to be mocked and ridiculed for Christ's sake. He's a humble man who actually didn't know I was going to use this video in today's episode. I, I did ask him, but that's not why he made the video. But he was gracious enough to allow me to share it with you all for the sake of equipping minds and exciting imaginations that we all may learn the comfort of Christ for our souls. He makes videos as a tool to aid his own personal evangelism efforts, especially among a group of neighbors who frequently engage the content put out by one of our local newspapers, which are not friendly toward the church. And so he's a sheep among wolves, but he sticks with it. He's in the fray and he won't give up. Let's leave it right there. Take our first break. And when we get back, we'll continue down this road of introducing you to Robert Lockett. We'll be right back. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Put this wisdom of God into practice by listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple. And faithful pastors from around the world help sharpen my faith in Christ every episode. I know you'll be blessed by listening and studying God's Word with us. Listen to Sharper Iron weekdays at 8 a.m. on KFUO and on demand at KFUO.org, the KFUO radio app, and anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Cross Defense. We're talking about courage. Not fearing suffering, not even fearing minor suffering. Now, I've edited this video I was telling you about, pulling from it a general message that will benefit all of us here at Cross Defense. Now, the subject matter that Robert Lockett is working with, a member here at St. Mark, as he's doing his own personal evangelism, trying to engage in the fray with all these people out here who are not Christian. It's, it's great content. He has his own purposes for it, and he's been gracious to let me edit it down to something that's useful for this show, for these purposes, and that's what I want to tell you about right now. I want to share this clip with you. These, this is going to become a segment, I hope. I want to share it with you today to encourage you to get into the arena. I want to encourage you that there's nothing to fear by speaking truth to those who don't agree with you, who those who are not Christian or don't have the same opinion that you do on a certain doctrine. It could be even in-house as you're, you're dealing with those who are uh, in within the church and without the church, right? I want to encourage you to not have fear. There's nothing to fear so that you can start training, meaning you can speak up so that when the pressure comes, when the real pressure comes, you will fall to a place because you will, you will sink you will not rise to the occasion. You will sink to a place that will testify to the truth of the Christian creed that you hold to. You will have joyful exultation in the face of martyrdom should that happen. As Roger says rightly in his wonderful book, Live Not By Lies, if we latter-day believers are not able and willing to be faithful in the relatively small trials that we face now, well, there's no reason to think we will have what it takes to endure serious persecution in the future. It's insanity for us, my friends, to think that we can never practice 
with the small things, the relatively small things, enduring some suffering. And then all of a sudden, someday in the future, in our romanticized vision, as I spoke of before, that we will, we will have the strength and the wherewithal to, to stand up against serious pressure and serious persecution. We can't even invite people to church. What makes us think we can stand up to you know, a gun in our face or, or being locked up by the state or something like this? If we can't even run the risk of upsetting a cousin at Thanksgiving dinner, then who are we fooling? See, as Christians, we're called to speak the truth of the gospel to those around us. And the reason our children have inherited a pagan culture, it's because we're too afraid to get into the fray. We've made an art, dear saints, of avoiding suffering. Let's be honest. The principle is true here for pastors and laymen alike. If you don't tell your neighbors about Christ and him crucified, who will? How does Anybody learn to identify their sin and delight in the salvation of their Savior, Jesus Christ, if the people who have that knowledge are unwilling because they're too afraid to engage with them in word and deed. It's Romans 10, 14 and following stuff, right? And this is what I mean. The principle is, is true for pastors and lay people alike. It's why, we're, it's why we're grateful for our pastors indeed, but it's also instruction for every Christian as it's how parents raise up their children to be Christians. It's how one neighbor, neighbor participates in another neighbor reaching repentance. What do we read here in Romans 10? How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Now, not everyone's a minister. I wouldn't imply that. Not in the narrow sense of that word. Of course not. There is a preaching office, as we confess in Article 5 of the Augsburg Confession. So that we may obtain faith in Christ. The ministry of teaching the gospel and administering the sacraments was instituted. For through the word and the sacraments, as through instruments, the Holy Spirit is given, who affects faith where and when it pleases God in those who hear the gospel. That is to say, in those who hear that God, not on account of our own merits, but on account of Christ, justifies those who believe that they are received into grace on account of Christ. So there it is. But this doesn't mean only pastors prophesy Jesus to their neighbors. That's not what that's saying. Just as Peter cites Joel chapter 2, when he's preaching in Acts chapter 2. And in the last days, it shall be, God declares, Peter says, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and my female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And we know from what Paul says about women teaching the divine service that this isn't, this isn't a proof text for female pastors or something like this. No, Joel and Peter are describing the priesthood of all believers who live in these last days. These days that you live in, Christian, you are alive today in these last days. Every Christian has the joy of prophesying in these last days, participating in the evangelizing effort of bringing all the world to Christ, that all would live, none would perish. So how do we prophesy? That's a very honest question. What is this thing called prophesying? Sounds very Old Testament. Well, sure. But in our day, it's to speak the truth, as it was in the Old Testament. But on this side of Christ's incarnation, on this side of the cross, Prophesying is telling our neighbors that the Messiah, the one we were all waiting for, has come into this world and that he defeated sin, death, and the devil. It's to tell people about Jesus, that he died on the cross to be the propitiation for our sins. As we read in 1 Peter 2, the apostle writing to the elect exiles of the dispersion, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen, and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, 
to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then jumping to verse 9, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Okay, so all of this is to say, to introduce you, I should say, to Robert Lockett, whom I'm privileged, sincerely privileged to serve as a pastor here at St. Mark. He drives a truck for a living. So let, that's not to degrade him at all, but that's to give you encouragement that you don't have to have a degree from Fort Wayne Seminary or something like this to be able to preach about Jesus to your neighbor in your vocation. Yes, you can tell people about Jesus in your vocation, and you can spend the time you have available to you in, in what your life looks like to research on your own, to study God's word in your calling as husband or as wife, as mom, dad, child, citizen of America. <laughs> Use your freedom to learn about God and then tell your coworkers about Jesus. Engage in the fray however you can. That's what this man does. He spends his time, he lives to talk about Jesus. The word of God made flesh by whom we can understand truth and use our reason ministerially with intent, not clumsily, but with precision and coherence to use what God has given us, our intellect, just as we confess that he has given us our reason and all of our members, our reason, our logic. Now, Robert's going to be joining us here in the Winged Lion studio in the not-too-distant future to discuss the logos. That's his favorite topic. Just ask anybody in Bible study. But today, <laughs> today he's talking about quantum physics, of all things, and the Trinity. My friends, it is my sincere pleasure to introduce you to Robert Lockett, Driving to the Truth. Quantum physics is actually quite simple. It's, it's amazing but it's not that difficult to understand. Uh, in the 20th century, physicists began to discover that the smallest units in our universe, the things that are billions of times smaller than an atom, the fundamental particles, right, is what they're looking for. And what they discovered is that these things don't exist the way we typically perceive physical things existing. They exist in what what is typically called the form of a wave function. And when that wave function is collapsed, then that particle, if you can call it that, can become a particle. But it can also become a wave. It can manifest into different things. So a quanta can become space-time, it can become energy uh, in the form of a light photon, or it can become a physical particle of which atoms can be built. And um, that's a basic overview. That's, that's all we need to understand is that until that wave function is collapsed, it exists in what they call a superposition. And that is fascinating because a rather hostile um, person in the Lost Coast Outpost discussion thread was attempting to mock me. And his question was, you know, with regard to the Bible, why didn't Yahweh come himself? Why did he send a substitute? You know, because I was making the case that, you know, it was God taking responsibility for our sin, right? It was, in a sense, always God's cross to bear since he's the one that gave us freedom of will. And in his omniscience, he could see that we would misuse it. He could see us misuse it. And he's confusing a couple different categories there. Yes, Christ is our substitute. He takes responsibility for us. But he's not a substitute for God. <laughs> he is God. And, and that is another question that is, appears far more difficult than it really is. Yes, it's amazing, but it's not that hard to understand. This concept of God as a trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As C.S. Lewis put it, uh, God revealed himself to mankind as super personal or the three personal being. Oh, what is that? Well, it bears a striking resemblance to what scientists have uncovered in quantum mechanics. So let me read this because I responded to him and I said, God appeared 
empirically in the flesh, limited to our space-time, okay? And some people will mock the idea of God as a trinity. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Well, just because we don't understand it doesn't mean it doesn't make sense. That would be the fallacy of argument from ignorance. Because we don't understand it, it's not true. Well, that does not follow. He asked how a spatially limited and empirical man, like the person of Jesus, could be a manifestation of what we claim is a spatially unlimited God who created space and matter. So how can God be manifest in a man who is finite? Jesus actually explained this to his befuddled disciples. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and still you do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? What we have here is what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 1, that God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature are clearly seen being understood through what has been made, so that men are without excuse. Without excuse to understand enough that the created world, God created to reveal himself on a certain level. And so when we see subatomic particles exist in a superposition, that is God showing us that you may not be able to understand these things, but I also am super personal, a being at a higher state of being than yourselves, who experiences relationship within himself. And the, the most incredible thing about Christianity and God's revelation in it is that he lowered himself to our level so that he could talk to us and relate to us on a level that we could comprehend. C.S. Lewis talked about it as if, uh, what did he call it, a, a great condescension. It'd be like you and I becoming a banana slug so we could talk to banana slugs, something along those lines. One of the things that convicts me is that Lewis went on to say that that's almost the test of what makes a man great. Can you condescend, not to be condescending, but can you take what you know and make it relatable to a child? Or are you above it? I love it. I love it. I don't know about you, but I personally, for one, I don't know anything about quantum physics. I don't. Well, that's not actually totally true. I do know what I've learned when I was 10 to about 12, by watching Quantum Leap. Theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett stepped into the Quantum Leap accelerator and So that counts for something. But for some reason, I don't think Dr. Sam Beckett is the most reliable source. What I do know, though, is that this is a great example of using the natural revelation of God to point people to the special revelation of God that they would come to know Jesus Christ. Robert's willing to suffer the minor annoyances, the hostilities of people that he's engaging with because he's not afraid of being in the fray, which means he's not afraid to make mistakes. That's what I'm saying. He's not afraid to look like a fool if that happens. It happens to the best of us. It happens to the worst of us as well. Again, ask the Bible study group. He's speaking and letting, not about Robert, but about me, <laughs> about Pastor Bramwell. He's speaking and letting the Holy Spirit take care of the outcome. You can do that too, Christian. You don't have to have a perfectly polished presentation before you start speaking. It will never happen. Just start speaking. Now, so you know, we've set up a driving to the truth page here at stmarksferndale.com where Robert's videos, when he creates them, will be archived apart from the cross-defense episodes that they appear in. Now, this way, if you want to watch and share just the Driving to the Truth segment, you can do that. You don't have to go through and find it here in the entire hour. You can just pull up the five minutes of that segment. You can go to stmarksferndale.com slash driving to the truth. S-T-M-A-R-K-S, ferndale.com slash driving to the truth. You can also find it nested under resources on our homepage. Go to the resources tab in the menu, video resources, and then Winged Lion Studio, and you'll find it with all of our other Winged Lion Studio content. So while you're looking on the stmarksferndale.com website, let's take a break right there. If we come back, we're going to take a look at Romans 8.1 to 9.5. 
And uh, yeah, we'll give you that that last little bit of uh, joy at the end of the episode. So don't go away. You're listening to Cross Defense. Hello, friends. I'm Pastor Phil Boo, host of Thy Strong Word. Each weekday morning at 11 a.m., join me and a guest pastor as we explore God's Word, which strengthens our faith and guides our lives. You can listen over the air, online at kfuo.org, or through your favorite podcasting app. Just search for Thy Strong Word, only from KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Welcome back to Cross Defense. Now let's consider Romans 8, 1 to 9, 5. And then, as I promised, I'm going to leave you with a nice little surprise. Well, it's not really a surprise. I told you about Kirk Cameron and uh, Martin Luther's Mighty Fortresses Our God. But I'm going to leave you with that to help you with your growing pains as you crucify your fear. Hopefully you got that uh, little reference. And prepare to suffer. Yes, prepare to suffer in the minor annoyances of speaking truth to a world that already does not believe in Jesus but will not yet kill you. (laughs) So Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who can condemn you, Christian? If you're in Christ Jesus, God's not condemning you. How can anybody else? For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do, By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on on the things of the Spirit. Let me pause right there at the end of verse 5 and ask you, if you're not speaking up for Jesus, if you're afraid that you might upset somebody at Thanksgiving dinner or at the water cooler at work or, or when you invite someone to church that they may never want to talk to you again or it may be awkward or whatever, if you're afraid of that, is it because you're thinking your mind is set on things of the flesh? Yeah, it probably is. Put your mind on the things of the Spirit. The flesh has already been dealt with there's no condemnation for the one who's thinking in the mind with the mind of the spirit. The condemnation for, is for the one thinking with a fleshly mind. We continue with verse 6, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. See, that's why I said we don't keep the peace when we keep the peace. In fact, we're keeping the peace to ourselves and we're not sharing it. So we're we're fooling ourselves. Verse 7, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. My friends, American Christians are surrounded by this great temptation to live as the world around us lives, with all of our creature comforts, and that means to avoid discomfort and suffering that means to accumulate things that make life easier to to avoid tension and and turmoil and and it means to not talk about religion and politics because those are the things that our parents said are, are off limits no those are the things we need to talk about the most and we need to discipline ourselves to be masters in the art of talking about them in mixed company because it's the mixed company that we want to convert into the truth. We want them to see that we actually believe what we say we believe and are willing to put our pound of flesh on the line. Yeah? Verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, Christian. You're in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Oh my goodness, do you hear this? 
If our God has given us his spirit, the same spirit that brought Jesus back to life, what are we afraid of? We, we don't have to even fear death. Verse 11 tells us we have nothing to fear, not even death. The same spirit that, that raised Jesus to life now dwells within you because of your baptism, because you believe the words of God. And we exercise the demons out of you, the begone you unclean spirits, and make room for the clean spirit, the Holy Spirit, says Luther in his baptismal rite. So what is there to be afraid of when it comes to speaking the word of Christ in these very, very safe situations? Verse 12, so then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. If you crucify your temptation to not speak, to hold your tongue when you should be telling people about Jesus, then you will die. You're living as the dead. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons, sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery, listen to this, to fall back into fear. You don't have to be afraid of anything. But you, dear saint, have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is what the early church did. This is what Paul was at, working at. This is all of this stuff we read from Michael Green. He did a great job of giving us that little section on endurance of suffering as part of your evangelism tool belt. We're not willing to suffer, provided we suffer with him. What makes us think we're going to live? Are we fooling ourselves? We certainly are. Let us crucify that sinful foolishness and, and stop convincing ourselves to be wimps in the greenhouse of America, in our Western comfort. Verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time, someone not wanting to ever talk to me again in the family because I mentioned Jesus at Thanksgiving or when you help to move or something, or, or when you consider the sufferings of this present time uh, and, and what you said at, at uh, the water cooler and now all of a sudden Bob in the office doesn't want to talk to you anymore. Or when you consider the sufferings of this time when someone you know, vandalizes your church building because you speak powerfully against the LGBTQ, boldly, peacefully, strongly, lovingly. Or when you engage like Robert, with people he knows are hostile to the faith, but he's trying desperately to convince them. And he's built up a rapport and a dialogue and a conversation. And he's shown that they can hate him all, all they want. He's not giving up. Consider that the sufferings of this present time, all those kind of sufferings, even losing your head, should it come to that, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? 
But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Long-suffering, my friends, endurance. Endurance to suffer for the name of Jesus. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. What is there that can happen to you when all things work for your good, Christian? According to the purpose that God has given you. This is, this is the idea that, that Peterson was, was pointing out that we cited last week in the episode, the, the clip we watched from Jordan Peterson, the idea that the best possible outcome comes from telling the truth. And for us, we know that's even more powerful than he may have intended it because we know truth is Jesus. And so when we're willing to speak and suffer the minor annoyances of people not wanting to talk to us anymore or, or mocking us, ridiculing us, scourging us, beheading us, whatever, we know that's the best possible outcome that could have come from that. God's working all things for the good of those who put their hope in him according to his purpose. So why do we hold our tongue? What are we afraid of? We're afraid of suffering, and we need to crucify that. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who's to condemn? Remember we heard about the condemnation at the beginning of eight? Who's to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or, or sword or, or being left out of the, the, the water cooler gossip or whatever? No, as it's written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. See, the built-in suffering is part of the evangelism witness. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And he says, I'm speaking the truth, 9-1. The truth in Christ. I'm not lying, he says. <laughs> Basically, don't be afraid. You can speak up. The, things are going to be okay. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They're Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. You're Christian, friend. Courage is synonymous with your name. You would be willing to go down the road of sacrificing yourself so others would get into heaven. You can be that courageous, that fearless, knowing it's all going to be okay because Christ is your Savior. There's nothing for us to fear, dear saints, for we are Christ's. <laughs> and with that, knowing he's our mighty fortress, I'm going to leave you with Kirk Cameron singing your favorite Lutheran hymn, Martin Luther's Mighty Fortress is Our God, and I'm going to talk to you next week.
Thanks for tuning in to Cross Defense. A final word to us this morning from a reformer who got it. German monk, Martin Luther. Ein Festeberg ist unser Gott. A mighty fortress is our God. And through this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us. We will not fear for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. That's scripture. The great hymns are filled with this vision of victory and an accurate picture of the battle between good and evil. He has willed for his truth to triumph through us. The scriptures say we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are God's ambassadors on heaven being sent out in a a reconciliatory mission, commanding men to be reconciled to God. He has offered terms of peace. He has paid the price to redeem you out of the slave block of sin and he will adopt you into his family. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. Resist the devil, the Bible says, and he shall flee from you. There is only one sovereign of the universe And that is the almighty God who lives and reigns forever and ever. Jesus Christ is the ruler of the earth and the devil is a defeated foe slinking off to the lake of fire. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. His kingdom is forever. Before the world existed, he chose you. He set his love upon you. He purposed to save and sanctify you. He put you on the winning team, safe in the covenant of his blood, and no one will ever snatch you out of his hand. The kingdom of God is winning, not losing. The kingdom is expanding, not shrinking, and it advances through the hearts of brave men and women like you and your children. If God can be for us, and he is, who can be against us? Brothers and sisters, as those who have been born of God and are sure to overcome the world by the word of God, I implore you, be brave. Cross Defense is a production of KFUO Radio. Find past episodes and support Cross Defense at KFUO.org.